Hey, everybody, this is Early Jackson, lead life coach and transition specialist with New Direction Coaching Associates. You're listening to From the Heart, presented by Orange Kiwi Consulting. All right, Early or EJ, as I've uh, as we've gotten to know each other, my, my middle name is Jack. So I, I um, Edward Jack is my name, Edward Jack Hart, and a lot of my friends call me EJ. I met Early Jackson. Actually, this is one of the first times we've actually been face to face, other than pictures and social media and so forth. But uh, just an honor to talk with with EJ. Um, he's on the East Coast in Virginia. I'm on the West Coast in California. So we've affectionately called each other EJ East and EJ West. EJ West. So that might be the last <laughs> time we say it on this podcast today. But that's that's a, anytime we've emailed or talked, that's what we've done. So early, man, it is so good to see you. It's good to catch up and thank you for agreeing to come on and, and be a guest on From the Heart. So you know, there's a lot going on in this world. We were kind of, I think we're coming out of an election. I don't know. Maybe we're still in it. Nobody really knows yet. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, there are a lot of things going on in our world right now that uh, you're in the heart of because you're on the East Coast right there by D.C. I feel like I'm mm-hmm. in the heart of it, too, out here in Southern California. Talk to me, if you could, just a little bit about just, I guess, just starting with your reaction. What What's a the impact on you. There's been so much going on with our police, with Black Lives Matter, with the election, obviously COVID. You know, pick a topic and go, I guess, because there's so wow. many areas we can start. We'll probably hit them all. That That's a loaded one, Ed. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it is. Wow. Well, first and foremost, thanks so much for having me. Um, I've always been, uh, I feel like we know each other. You I know, know we talked um, you know, I know about your initiatives there in California and your heart and your passion. You definitely have the right last name. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's why the podcast is called From the Heart. We're going to end there in about an hour, but we'll uh, we'll come back to that. But uh, yeah, for those that don't know, I, my wife and I have a foundation called the Heart Leadership Group. Many of you know that if you listen and watch. And, and um, in 2016 and again in 18, we did a, a, a Black Business Leader Hall of Fame event with City National Bank, our title sponsor for those events out here in LA. And um, early was nice enough to contribute some names and some ideas and a lot of inspiration for for what we've done. So that's how we connected four years ago. If anybody's wondering, how do these two guys know each other? Because, you know, we, we're, we're so similar other than the yeah. Egypt, right? Yeah. They can but, barely uh, tell us apart. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah, separated at birth, as they say, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so, sorry, uh, I wanted to give a little bit of background there for folks who, who didn't know no, that's how fine. we connected. That's fine. So I'll jump in and say this, um, Ed, I, I dub myself as a hope dealer. I um I I live from the lens that there is some good out there everywhere if you dig far enough to, and look for it. So when I look at what's going on now, I look at it from a couple of different vantage points. Um, there is a there is a lot of unrest, and and um, what better place than America to have unrest? Because that's kind of the heart of who we are. Uh, as Americans, you know, we are, we're revolutionists. We, we believe in certain things very passionately. And as Dr. Martin Luther King said, revolution is the, excuse me, riot is the voice of revolution. So there is, there is this uh, narrative that's, that, you know, there are a couple of narratives depending on which network you watch, you know, I'm not going to call anybody out, but um, I think right down the middle lane is where the truth is. And what divides us isn't as great as what could join us together. And if I was someone who didn't want to see people put together, I would definitely amplify all of this stuff that's going on. I'd make them say, oh, well, you know, Black Lives Matter is a organization that's uh, that's some, you know, it's dangerous. So, you know, all the different things and characteristics and all that stuff. Uh, but it's hard to say that stuff to somebody face to face when you hear their story and you have empathy and you connect with them. Um, America is no stranger to uh, the stuff that's been going on. Um, but I think that uh, a lot of times what happens is we, we, try to, we try to paint our country like somebody would if it was a, a eulogy of a loved one that really wasn't a nice person. Mm. And what I mean by that is uh, they have to, you know, your uncle passes, he was a real jerk, but you got to get up there and say nice things. Got to say good him. things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the reality is, you can you can not be happy with some of the things that America has uh, been responsible for, and still be a patriot. You know, you can you can be, have someone who you can be someone who has a critique, and still love the country you live in. You know, because we, we're so black or white with it. Um, no pun intended. Yeah, but, I was gonna say yeah. Uh, yeah. But if if I say, well, here's something they could do different. Someone to yell, well, you could just leave. 
well, I could, or I could stay here and we can make this right together. We can you know? stay here, we can change it. You don't like your situation. You got two two options. You can leave it or you can change it, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So um, what I believe is that there is a, especially with the younger generation, I'm 49, my son is 20, one of my sons is 21. And I hear him and I hear his his contemporaries talk. They're not having any of the racist stuff. They, they're gonna love who they're gonna love. They're gonna fight for who they wanna fight for. And they're going to believe, you know, the best about people without all of the generational baggage, if you will, that comes with, you know, living through the 60s or 70s or even the early 80s. So I, I believe that we are um, what we're experiencing is a, is a people that are saying, I'm fed up with all of this. Let's just get back to the basics of loving each other, um, building a great country, um, building each other up and following our dreams, all this other stuff is really just stuff playing in the background that's pulling our, distracting us from where we really should be. Yeah, it's that static on the radio that gets in the way of us hearing what we really wanna hear. So exactly. tell me, yeah. I'm gonna use your words here for a second. Now I like to do that, I like to throw the words back at my guests when they say, you say hope dealer, I love that. It, it conjures up a lot of images for me, but that's not important. What, what's important is what you mean by it. So talk to two different audiences for a minute. First, let's, I don't wanna make this conversation about you know, the election and Trump and Biden and all that, because we've heard, we hear enough of that. And the minute I start going there, people are going to click to something else. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah. but talk to, talk to um, a person who is fed up, who just really has had enough with all the stuff that's going on in this world. And the other person who really does right now see a ton of hope that things are turning a corner, that we are, you know, shifting into a good space. And again, I don't mean this in a political way, but how do you, mm -hmm. how do you, in your role as a hope dealer and as a, I love the, the, some of the titles for your curator of inspiration, a preacher, a writer, a coach, chief empowerment officer. I mean, there's so many ways to describe you. And I agree with all of them from the four years I've known you now. Um, talk to, to, first of all, but, you know, first of all, what about that person who's just feeling hopeless, whether it's because of the politics, because of the social unrest, because of depression. I know you've battled with that and have your own battles with that in the past. Yeah. Uh, let's first go there. Let's talk to that person who just feels hopeless. Tell me what you would, it's me. I'm, I'm on your couch and you're talking to me right now. Wow. Um, so all of the days that you've lived have brought you to where you are right now. And the worst crappiest day you've ever had, you survived. And wouldn't it be a sad thing to leave the party so early before everything really starts changing. Hmm. You know, that's what I tell people. Um, there's, there's, a, there's something happening. And whether you're a spiritual person or not a spiritual person, there's something in, internal that we all sense that uh, some people sense it and say it's doom, other people sense it and say it's hope. But I believe that what we're sensing is the winds of change. So before you give up now, I just wanted, I would just challenge anyone before they walk out and give up right now. But first of all, give up and go where? Yeah. You know, <laughs> what, what's the better still, option, right? Yeah. Right. Tomorrow's still going to be Tuesday. Next week is still going to start in December. And at the end of the day, if you give up your hope now, uh, you will miss out on some of the best things that you've been waiting for. And wouldn't it be unfair for us to kind of walk into a new season of life and not have the ones that help forge the way they're with us to celebrate? How'd you get through it? Uh, uh, family. Um, I, I have a real good system, I, I, um, support system. I was just joking with my wife uh, a couple of weeks ago and I, I realized that how wealthy we were and she kind of chuckled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I said, I said yeah. hear me out, hear me yeah. out. I, don't, I haven't hit the lottery. But um, <laughs> the relationships that we have, um, the people that we can call um, and just say, one, one friend in particular I'm thinking about, his name is Chris, I can call him. And without saying a whole bunch, I can say, man, it's just one of those days. And he instantly, he knows what to do. It's like a kind of like a code word or something. He mm -hmm. goes right into encouragement mode. Um, you know, ridding my circle of real toxic, negative people and filling it with people that are life givers, that are hopeful, that are, because, you know, I, I always say this, Ed, hope is an airborne disease. Mm -hmm. If you get around two or three people with it, you're going to catch it. Nice. Um, typically what we're manifesting is what we've been around. So if you want something different, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to change your circle and have the the the, the gumption to to clean out your circle and be and intentional, be intentional about having people in your life that really spark creativity. I have some friends that um 
And it's funny because something good happened for me. And I called one of my friends, Heather, and told her. And she was screaming louder than I was. Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, yeah. Talk about yeah, 2020. Take that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Bring it on, baby. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. you know. And so those are the kind of people that fill my life on a weekly basis. And I just realized one day, you know, to my wife, I said, we are wealthy. We have friends that care that um, when we were going through some challenges, made sure that there was food on the table. You know, we just great people in our lives. That's how I got to it. Talk about one of those great people in your lives early on. I know you talk a lot about your mom and I've watched your TED talk when you talked about the Egg McMuffin and I want to go there in a minute too. But, you know, we can okay. talk Egg McMuffins all day because I'm I'm one of those billions, just so you know. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> I, go, I go more of the sausage than the Canadian bacon and I can't do the cheese because I'm dairy allergy. But other than that, bring it on. I, I love it. But you you mentioned in that TED talk about your mom and her taking you to McDonald's and and uh, mm -hmm. I'll put the link to that TED talk on this too. So if we don't get into the detail of that today, people will still get a chance to see it. Talk about your mom. Wow. Um. So my mom passed when I was uh, 19. I was just joining the army, and mm -hmm. she passed that year that I wow. joined. Um. But to take it back, so my mother, I was kind of one of those children that was a surprise. So <laughs> I'm 49. My cousin is 50. His name is Early as well, as well. And he had the name because they told my mom she had she had, had so many problems and so many health issues, she wasn't going to have any more kids. So my aunt, when she had her son, she said, you know what? We want to keep the name Early in the family. It's in my dad's family. And it was really important to him. So they named him Early. And about six months later, she got pregnant with me. And mm -hmm. um, it was a just a very tumultuous uh uh, pregnancy from the beginning, they they encouraged her to abort um, because of some uh, just, you know, the early uh, uh, detections that they had or whatever. Sure. And at right about her six months pregnancy, she uh, had kidney, full kidney failure. They had to do an emergency C-section. I weighed about a pound, seven ounces. And they said, you know what, this guy, if, if he lives, uh, he's never going to be a really normal guy. He's going to, you know, he's going to have some issues. They weren't quite. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty well. Yeah, I'm glad you went there because I, I I know you, but not that well. So, yeah, so, that's funny. Uh, you're describing normal. me in a lot of ways, not with the beef, not the, you know, the name and pregnancy issues, but I was the surprise. My my brothers and sisters say that I was the um, the the surprise. I say I was the blessing, you know, the un there you go. Un yeah. unexpected blessing. There you go. Anyway. Guess who's coming home? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> so um, after about three months um, in the NICU, in and out of different, you know, treatments and things like that, my mom finally brought me home, and she she made it her life's mission to make sure I was safe. And this is where you know I, I'm very transparent with this story, Ed, because my mom had a lot. Looking back, she had a lot of issues. Uh, she dealt with some mental issues, and. Um, she uh, she did the very best she could with, with who she was at the time. And but she definitely instilled some fears in me, you know, because of and partly partly because she wanted to protect me, partly because she was navigating those chain those issues herself. So, um, you know, she she definitely instilled those fears in me. And it took years of uh, fighting, uh, being intentional about uh, therapy and talking to the right people to get those fears out of me. But one thing I remember the most about her was her ability to be soft and loving. Um, you know, I, my dad, typical man from that era, no hugs, he wasn't very emotional. His way of showing he loved you was he'd give you a dollar. Yeah. You know, my mom, on the other hand, made it her life's mission to know, make sure I knew no matter what you're loved and no matter what crazy scheme I came home with, whether it was trying to learn the saxophone to impress a girl or hmm. uh, joining the marching band and hating to walk, you know, in March, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you know, I want to play the songs. I don't want to do all the marching that goes with it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. And, or coming home with a bunch of cardboard and saying, "I want to laminate my floor in the bedroom because I want to be a professional break dancer." Nice. She would go, "You <laughs> know what, baby? You can do it." You know, nice. and she had this that's insatiable awesome. belief in you that was contagious. And I think that's where I get that from. Where uh, the worst thing you can do is tell me your dream because I'm going to hound you and and brainwash you to believe that you can achieve it. Well, and you do that. I mean, you're part of this organization and that's how you and I met as this great Black Speakers Bureau. And uh, yeah. my buddy, Dan Vandervliet, who works at Cornell um, knows, I think Lawrence, is he the, the founder? 
Yes, and, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Watkins. Yep. Yeah, and Lawrence Watkins is a Cornell alum, and that's how I came across you was through Dan to Lawrence back to you. Tell me how you got involved with that and how those life experiences that you've just described at the beginning. And we're gonna I want to dive back into a couple of things you mentioned, but first, um, how do you use those life experiences that you've personally had? to inspire others. And I know that we can't just choose, you know, people are inspired because they choose to be inspired, not because we choose to inspire them. But at the same time, we know when it's happening because number one, the feedback, and we also know that our experiences are not just for us, but they're for other people as well. So how do you tap into those experiences to share that message with your clients, with people that you speak to, TED Talks and so forth? Sure, so I'll, I'll just throw this blurb in first. I'm, I've been really probably the last five or six years, and I, I attribute it to going into my 40s. Um, I've been obsessed with this word legacy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, we, we walk into a hospital, and if you look on the walls around, there, there are wings, there are areas that are named after people who have died. Their families may not even live in that area anymore, but they did something, and they made such an impact that 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 what they donated there will always live. And I think I'm, I, I want to be, I want to, I'm thinking more about after I'm gone mm -hmm. than what I'm doing right now, if that makes sense. So it does. Um, yeah, I'm really into legacy and really thinking about what, if, what am I investing in today? Is it impacting lives and will it last after I'm no longer around? So that's the mindset that I walk into everything, but in particular with the Great Black Speakers Bureau, how I got connected with them. Uh, I actually met Lawrence online through uh, LinkedIn, I believe it was. And it was a business opportunity we were talking about that never materialized. Uh, it, it just wasn't a good fit. Um, what mm -hmm. I was trying to do was more um, uh, wellness, inspirational based, and he was looking for something different. And about a year later, got a random email from him and said, hey, so I remember talking with you. Uh, I, I have this bureau where speakers are coming in and I'm realizing that they do need some training. Would you be open to doing some, um, you know, open contract training for me? I said, yeah, uh, I started out just very loosely, maybe once or twice a month. And then he said, hey, so I would like to drive this business and bring in a certain type of speaker. Would you spearhead that? So I said, yeah, I was, you know, so my, yeah, my, my duties increased. Then it was, hey, um, I don't have anybody to manage the events on the back end. What do you think about that? And I said, well, I'm already in. Let's just throw the kitchen sink too, you know? So, um, and still to this day, after um, nearly seven years, no, nah, uh, seven years with Lawrence, we're still working together. Um, Great Black Speakers are still going strong, affected heavily by COVID. Sure. But we Not are- Not a lot of live know, events right now. So, yeah. Ex yeah. So, we, yeah. you know, we had to adapt and adjust on the fly. But um, I, I just appreciate his leadership. He's a very quiet leader. He's, a, he's the kind of leader that, that won't figure stuff out for you. He'll step back and say, what do you think? And I, he is great at letting your, your skills shine through. Um, and if he never gets any credit, he's absolutely fine with it. But uh, I've definitely been inspired and, and impacted by his leadership style. That's awesome. Yeah, he sounds like a good man. A little, little bit of conversations I've had with him too and what Dan has shared with me about mm -hmm. him has been pretty powerful as well. So talked about your mom, you've talked about Lawrence, you mentioned Dr. King earlier. When you think about mentors and those that have inspired you over the years, other than the ones that, that you've already mentioned, does anybody come to mind, famous or not, a coach, a, a, a community leader, pastor, anybody in your life? Yeah, so um, a, a gentleman comes to mind who I never met. Um, I have worked for his organization before, but never met him, Dr. John Sperling, who is the founder of University of Phoenix. Okay. And um, so I did some work for them in the training department for a few years uh, back in Philly and, you know, got parked at a desk and started going through it and found his book. You know, it, you know, it was called Rebel with the Cause. Mm -hmm. And I found that and they said, well, they used to give those out to everybody. Um, I haven't seen him in a couple of years. So I said, wow, can I have it? Well, yeah, keep it. So, you know, I'm, I'm reading this book and um, it was it was more of an academic read than I thought, but the inspiration that I received out of it, and I'll paint this story for you. So I was going through some things. Uh, uh, we were trying to navigate where we were going to go next before we moved down here from Philly and just on the train on my way to work. And I was really down in the dumps this day. And just kind of a woe is me, nothing's going right kind of week. Um, so I opened up the book 
And Ed, the chapter, the chapter I'm reading, Dr. Sperling was on a red eye from um, California. He was heading back to Arizona. Um, he had just left a, um, a uh, legal proceeding where he found out that his wife of many years was taking, you know, was divorcing him. Wow. Um, earlier that day, before he had the meeting with the lawyers, he had had treatment for prostate cancer. Um, when he landed, he was going straight from there to court because um, some uh, a, a university in Arizona was suing him over the name University of Phoenix. Hmm. Uh, two of the people that helped him get started, they were really instrumental in the beginning, were defecting, and he had to teach a class that night. So, so he had a couple of curveballs going at him. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, and I, I closed the book and I sat back and I said, okay, early, you can either whine or you can kind of put on your big boy shorts and say, mm -hmm. this happens to everybody. And on the other side of all these challenges is the greatest opportunity of your life. And if you let this stop you, how, how are you going to feel later on knowing that somebody that you admire went through far more than you? And it yeah. reminds me of a quote. Um, I've seen it on Instagram a few times. They said, there's somebody out there who had far less than you, who took that and made far more than you're willing to do. Hmm. And it just kind of make it. That's one of the things that grounds me and brings me back to, you know what? You don't need all the bells and whistles. You don't need everything. You just need the guts to try. You know, yeah. like you said, COVID happened and the studio that you were in that was plush and it was nice. You had to you had to pivot on the move and say, yeah. I can stop what I'm doing or I can figure out how to do it a different way and make it just as good or even better. Yeah. And I'm sitting here and this is my 40, 46th episode and each of them is roughly an hour. And the way I look at this is in 2020, yeah, I'm going to remember the I just got news this morning that my 71 year old brother tested positive. And so I'm still dealing right. I mean, literally in the last couple of hours, I learned this. Mm. We think he's okay. I mean, he's got a cough and he's really, really tired, but I don't, I don't know what's going to happen at 71 and he's battled with right with uh, prostate cancer as well. So he has some of those issues already, otherwise very healthy. <laughs> but um, so a lot of this stuff is happening in 2020 to, to people we know and love. But I've had the opportunity and really I'll use the word blessing to have now 46 hours of conversation with amazing people like yourself and others who have changed me. I mean, I, I wasn't intentional when I created this, that this is what it was gonna become. When COVID hit and we were sent home and the studio closed down and I was sent home from my day job at Cal State Fullerton, I didn't know I was going to buy a microphone and headphones and keep doing <laughs> podcasts. It just one day it's like, hey, you know what? Uh, Todd Frazier, my producer said, you know, you can do this from home. And it's like, really? So yeah, so people, I, 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 I'm producing, I'm editing, I'm, I'm doing it all and I'm having the time of my life doing it. So yeah, trying to take the experiences of COVID this year and, and turning them, uh, from from lemons and lemonade, as we like to say out here with some of the stuff we're doing. What's a, a lesson for you personally that you've learned in 2020 that you wouldn't have learned if not for COVID that you know now you're going to take with you? So um, I, I talked a little bit about the business side of my life. Um, I think the biggest thing that we've learned, um, and we have a blended family. Uh, my son moved down from Philadelphia uh, and moved in about a year and a half ago. And it was, everything was great because I was gone, he was gone. My wife is a writer, so she works from home. And then COVID happens. And then I get sent home and he's home a lot. And it really, uh, what it taught me the most was the benefit of having intentional talk times with my family. And, uh, you know, we have, I mean, just like with any family, we've had disagreements, we butt heads, we uh, try to figure out how to navigate, you know, um, parenting and older you know, child that's not a five-year-old, you know, he's 21. Um, yeah. So just navigating that and, you know, carving out the time to spend time with him, still mentor and, and be a source of encouragement and guidance for him as well. COVID has taught us to slow down. Uh, you know, there was a period of time where we would do our church services online. So that was our morning time uh, to talk, you know, on Sunday mornings, <clears throat> we gather, we talk about what, what our dreams are. What do you think? What are you trying to do? We, that'd be an opportunity for us to challenge each other on our goals. And uh, it really taught me that if you've got a good home base, you can do anything. That's really good. Yeah. How many meals would you say you and your family had together on a weekly basis prior to COVID versus now? 
<laughs> we 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 passed each other, you know, while yeah. we were while we were making Uber Eats, you know, yeah. orders, and um, but yeah, it definitely made us slow down, um, eat together more. Sunday Sunday evenings were really a fun time in the beginning, um, before my son's schedule changed because that was movie time, uh, food and and yeah, like you said, we we just got busy with everything. Everything was, and then when we started losing family members, it really hits you like wow. You could you could just miss out on some good times with people because you just wanted to return emails. Those yeah. emails are going to be there tomorrow yeah. or later on. Put the phone down, focus on who's in front of you, and and really engage. My wife's favorite word for me is make sure you're present. So that's what I've been practicing. Yeah, when your wife tells you to be present, that she's also telling you something else you haven't been. So yeah, <laughs> I'm tired yeah. of looking at the top. Yeah, I'm tired of looking at the top of your fedoras. Look at me. There you <laughs> go. No, and, like this. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us. Really, I appreciate you sharing that because I've had those thoughts, and you're putting it into words that I hadn't really processed. But I think that we're taking these experiences that we're having, and and hopefully the changes that we're each making in our lives and in our families will stick with us. It's really easy in time of you know, when we're in the foxhole and the grenades are going off and the bullets are flying over our heads to pray and to repent and to say, oh, if you get me through this, God, I'm going to do this. And so my right. fear is that we're in the foxhole right now. And mm -hmm. then post COVID and vaccines and everything's kind of back to whatever I'm doing the air quotes for those that are just listening. Um, then we get back to that normal. Now nah, we're out of the foxhole. It's like, you know, dear God, please help me find my keys. Oh, never mind. I got them. You know, it's like yep, we, yep. we don't give him credit for what he just did. And I'm, you know, we don't need to go all in, into that. But still, my hope is that we'll take these lessons that we're learning and, and do more family meals and more talk times on Sundays and so forth. Your point, yeah. go ahead. You have a thought. Yeah, you, yeah you said something about normal. Um, I wonder, and this is just my, my weird thinking, but I wonder what normal will look like. Yeah. Do we even go back to what is normal? You know, I, I, I think that um, this is such a once in a generational kind of uh, a disruption that I don't, I don't know that we're going to go back to normal as normal was. I believe that a great majority of people are really going to walk away with these lasting uh, changes that have happened as a result of COVID because you see how good it is, yeah. you know, um, my wife and I's relationship this year has never been better, you know, because we've had some tough conversations. Where are you going? Everything's closed down. No movies, yeah, you yeah. know. And, and we were we went to the movies almost every Friday. That was mm -hmm. our thing, every Friday. And I realized that just going to a movie isn't really a whole lot of quality time because you're not talking. Right. You're staring at a screen you know, for a couple hours, yeah. Which we could do at home. Yeah. But um, with the movies closed and Walmart, you know, reduced hours, Target reduced hours, yeah. um, you know, we spent a lot of time talking and worked through some, um, you know, how you have those those issues uh, that are kind of in your periphery, but they're not really major issues. Um, we were able to pull those in and say, so, what you know, what do you think about this? How, how are we going to navigate this part of our life? And uh, I don't. I, I can't, I don't see me going back or our family going back uh, yeah. to, to anything other than that because we've benefited so much from it. My wife and I now have a routine. We would try to get breakfast together, a cup of coffee together as many mornings as we could before I had to make my hour drive to the office every morning. Well, this year, my commute is 22 steps from my bedroom down the hall <laughs> to my office here upstairs in the house. So we right. just about every morning, the mornings that we don't get to have coffee and a little breakfast together on the back patio or in the living room or what have you. Now it's mm. the living room in front of the Christmas tree, which she just put up over the weekend. Uh, yeah, she's <laughs> Mrs. Claus. The house is the North Pole now. I love it. Um, you know, in October. Yeah, I love it. yeah. Oh, I we're, love no, we're November now. We're, we're, we're in November now. Oh, it, we're, so, we're November. Yeah, November. see, time just flies, doesn't it? <laughs> but now the times that we don't get together is the exception, whereas before we, the, the time together was the exception. And like you, we'd go to movies mm -hmm. a lot too. So yeah, I think that as a society, I, I read about this, I hear about it, I talk with other guests about it, my wife and I, my family, you know, we're really focusing, I think, on the stuff that matters more than anything else. What have you seen around you on in on the East Coast where you are now? My my perception of what's going on on the streets and in DC and in Virginia where you are and up in Portland and other places is only what I see on the news. When you're out there, what are you seeing? I mean, obviously you come from a different culture and background than I do. You grew up a, a black American. I'm a white American in a very conservative area of the country. Um, 
I just, I'm curious what you're seeing. Let's get the, the man on the streets version of what's going on rather than what my people on CNN and Fox want to tell me all day. Your perception gotcha. of what's going on. Um, I think, first of all, what you're seeing in the news, no matter what news you look at, is probably an extreme, uh, very small percentage of what's really going on. It's all about ratings. Uh, they got to tell you a story that's going to keep you glued to the TV. They got to shock you, man. They got to mm -hmm. bring it in. Um, but earlier in the year, uh, my son had a chance to go to his first protest. And I, I cried the whole time, you know, um, I'll send you a couple of pictures from us walking and um, just the, the unity. And when we got there, there were so many different people from all different backgrounds. I mean, there were just as many white people, Latinos, Asian American. I mean, it was, it was like a rainbow coalition. It was nice. beautiful. Yeah. And they were all shouting for justice. Nothing got destroyed. Nothing got, you know, we just, the police were there. Uh, there were even police that we had a chance to honor there and everything, but just being able to uh, see the passion of people. And that's why I believe that this is a people's movement, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that uh, it, it's not as um, uh, far left or far right. It's just people who want something in the middle and they're willing. I saw Democrats and Republicans at this particular protest. So, uh, you know, I, I believe that what we're seeing is uh, people that are hungry for change and they're willing to work together regardless of differences. So you, like for instance, the, um, the uh, Catholic um, Archdiocese that's here in um, this area of Virginia is working with uh, local Black Lives Matter um, uh, organizations. So, you know, nice. two, two, two organizations- They're totally be, opposed, the, yeah. <laughs> couldn't be more different than each other, but they're coming together. Um, I just participated in a college, they did a month long uh, conversation that they recorded called Race in America, where they had um, the uh, lieutenant colonel from the police office, police um, department here locally. We talked to a police, uh, high-ranking police official in, from Chicago. We had him on Zoom. So it, just to hear the conversation and hear uh, the passion in their voice, one, one of the officers was white, the other one was black, and to hear that they were talking the same thing, you know, they had the same mission. In fact, the uh, white officer that's local here, he's he's finishing up a book he, he wrote because he found out that there were two black officers who were killed way back in the day during a time where segregation was still a thing mm -hmm. and they were never honored with a full, you know, kind of, you know, uh, uh, hero's funeral. Yeah. So he's 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 getting all the information because he's going to see to it that they have their they, they get that honor bestowed on them. And he's writing a book about their lives. So I've just, you know, this stuff has brought out people that I would have never had a chance to communicate with. But we're all kind of looking over our fences and getting together and saying, hey, uh, what can I do to help you? What can you what can you do to help me so that we because we all have the same goal and that's peace. It goes back to that word you mentioned earlier that he's looking out for these two black cops who were killed, that word of legacy. The legacy, yep. the impact that those gentlemen are making now that he's making on honoring them. They're not here to see it, but their families certainly are. And you know that they're deeply touched by what he's doing. So, yeah, that's I, I work. Most of my work, as I think, you know, is with family businesses. Um, predominantly, my you know, I, I run a center for family business at Cal State Fullerton. And my wife and I have our organization, Heart Leadership Group, which honors and works and educates family businesses literally around the world now. Now that we're in COVID, I mean, the. The silver lining for us in this is that we can, I can have a conversation with you from 3,000 miles away, which I could have done mm -hmm. before, but we weren't thinking in terms of Zoom 10 months ago. Right. Um, we can have families from Vietnam and South America and all over the country and Canada on a lot of the things that we're doing. So that word in family business comes up a lot and that word is legacy because not only are they focused on, you know, the day-to-day -day operation of their business today, but they're really looking at what is the legacy that they're trying to leave behind in their business for their kids and so forth. I think I know the answer to this and you've already touched on it, but I'm gonna ask you anyway, because that's what I like to do. Redundancy is the key to learning, right? <laughs> I work at a university and you know, repetition is how we learn. What do you want your legacy to be? Let's go to that tombstone for a moment because you mentioned that a lot of times our efforts aren't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing you, our efforts aren't recognized until we're gone whether it's the what's on the tombstone or what do you want them to say at your funeral, just what do you hope that when 
when I talk or when, when my kids talk to your kids and they're talking about you, what do you want them to say? What do you hope they say? Wow. That being around him was in, inspirational and infectious. That mm. you couldn't, you couldn't help but want to, I, I want people to say when I was around him, when I left, it made me want to do X, Y, and Z. You know, um, I, I used to think when I was younger, I, I cared whether people thought I was perfect or whether they thought I was doing a good job. I found out people really don't care about that stuff because if you're human, there are going to be people that that see your legacy from different angles. You know, yeah. <laughs> depending on who you talk to, they have, you know, there are certain people that have a certain mindset about even Dr. King, you know, and, and what his legacy should be or shouldn't be. A, and that you can't, you can argue for days, but what you can't deny is that uh, he, he impacted his generation forward, yeah. that he left words that are still uh, ringing true and inspiring babies, you know, all these years later. So that's, that's what, that's what concerns me is that when people leave, um, when I leave their presence, they feel like they can accomplish something just a little bit more than what they were doing before they met me. Well, mission accomplished, brother. You're already doing it. I've known you for four years and <laughs> we've only had conversations on email and a few phone calls and now finally face to face. And I'm here to tell you this uh, curator of inspiration that's in your profile. Well done. And you're doing it. Oh. So, and I think that, yeah, that's the thing. When I look at people who are leaving that tremendous legacy, one of the things that I see in common is they're not as focused on the legacy as they are in just living and doing what's right and treating people kindly and, and fair and um, just being good human beings. And then at the end of the day, yeah, if you want to call that legacy and call that, hey, I'm doing all these things, that's great. But uh, I know for me anyway, when I'm trying hard to inspire, trying to motivate is when I'm probably least inspiring and least mm -hmm. motivating. And when I'm just trying to live and, and do the best that I can, that's that's when it uh, when it more happens, more occurs. Talk about. Think, oh, yeah, go ahead. And then I want to get into your coaching. Go ahead. OK, I, I think it um, boils down to purpose, too. Yeah. You know, um, when you know the purpose for something, you can use it properly. So when um when my wife and I moved from Philadelphia down here, uh, I stopped working about three weeks before she did. She had to work almost up until the weekend before we left. So I got a chance to do something that most guys never get to do. Most husbands never get to do. And that's actually pack up a house without the missus, you know, right <laughs> over your shoulder. Sure. So, you know, I would go up in the attic. As soon as she'd leave for work, I'd go up in the attic and just start pulling boxes. And honestly, Ed, if it had this much dust on it, I didn't even look in the box. Hmm. It just goes. Because so I hadn't looked at it in enough time to click that dust, I don't need it, right? Is that right? What, what can I need out of here that's so desperate that I haven't seen in five years? So, um, we, you know, we get down here and we go right away and buy a bookshelf from Walmart and some other things. And she says, great, let's put it together. Where's the toolbox? And I started looking around in boxes and I'm like, okay, um, don't see it. And then I had to come clean and say, well, you know what, yeah. I could have thrown it away. Um, and that's when I, <laughs> yeah. So I was putting up, um, I was trying to nail things into the wall with the, with the butt end of a butter knife. A butter knife, I love that. And I'm just tearing my thumb up, right? And I realized that abuse just means abnormal usage. It's using something out of the purpose that it was created for. Oh, wow. And, and when you pull the lens back and look at our lives, most of what's hurt us in life is when we were trying to use ourselves or our gifts or our talents or whatever it is out of the ordained purpose for our life. Hmm. And that means we didn't take the time to learn it. So when I, when I look at life now, I see it through the lens of purpose. Um, I'm not good at a whole lot of things, but the things that I've purposed for, I've, I've kind of honed those skills and that's the lane that I stay in. And I believe that's what, what, that's what impacts lives. Yeah. Um, what, what people remember, they may not even remember your name, but they'll remember being in LA for one of your events and what they saw, you know, it may not even have been the, the ideal thing that you wanted them to see at that moment. You mm -hmm. were trying for something else, but what they got was what they needed. Yeah. And that's what they'll remember simply because you and your wife decided to walk in your purpose. Yeah, that's so true. And I appreciate that. And that's, that is really true. I look at so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, everything goes back to certain things for me, Los Angeles Dodgers. I'm a massive Los Angeles Dodgers fan. So obviously I'm Congrats. very, very thrilled. Yeah. I got a couple of Dodger caps behind me on my, on my bookshelf here, but um, 
what I love about the Dodgers, and, and it's not what I love about the Dodgers, what I love about the memories. I grew up going to Dodger games with my dad. My dad's mm. nine, 93. He'll be 94 in January, still alive, still doing wow. really well. Um, we watched every World Series and most playoff games together. We watched the Dodgers in 1988 together when they won the World Series the last time prior to this, this just last few weeks ago. So what baseball and golf and watching the Masters this weekend and so forth does for me is just those memories of watching those things with my dad. And, you know, when he's gone and, you know, I'm a grandpa, I'm a grandpa now, but when I'm an old grandpa, I'm a young grandpa now, I'll, I'll be looking back and, uh, you know, just those memories of, I may not remember who won. I may not remember the details of those things, but I will remember how I felt. It's like mother Teresa said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing people may not remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Every time. Yeah. Every single time a smile, like an acknowledgement, um, slowing down these, these last few months when, when questions arise, you're not running out to a meeting. You can right. stop what you're doing. You know, you can pause the video and, and go right into it and get back later on. But yeah, I think that this time when we look back on it years, maybe decades from now, they'll say this, the, the, the positive that's going to come out of this year with families. And I know there's some stuff that's happened that's negative too, right. but the stuff that's going to make the difference is the positive, the, the trajectory of families changing in this season where they decided that they were going to, they were already hunkered down together. They might as well try to, you know, work some things out, forgive some people that, that previously they hadn't forgiven and uh, taking their family to the next level. Yeah. We're really focusing on the stuff, like we said before, the stuff that matters the most. How did yep. you and your wife get into deciding to coach? I know that you, um, you have this new direction coaching. I know you've been doing that mm -hmm. a few years. I know you guys do a lot of that together now. Talk about uh, the types of coaching you do. If someone's looking, oh, certainly we're in a Zoom world right now. So I'm guessing you probably have more <laughs> clients than in your, in your geography there. So if there's somebody listening or watching today that uh, is looking for what you do, uh, talk about how you got into it, what you do, what type of clients you're working with. Sure. So New Direction Coaching Associates came from New Direction Christian Center. So my wife and I pastored in Philadelphia for many years and um, just felt like that part of our journey was changing uh, into more one-on-one -on -one and group coaching. So before that, uh, I had a background in management and sales. She had a background 14 years plus in HR. So, you know, we knew corporate America. We knew I'd done some training for different companies. So as we, you know, we'd pastor on Sundays and then Monday through Friday, we'd work with those same people because there's no way, whatever religious, um, you know, surroundings you have, that one deposit per week is not going to, is not enough to get you where yeah. you need to go. There needs to be some home application. And we realized that our best um, kind of effect or, or effectiveness was coming from working with people, helping them Monday through Friday and helping them with the issues that have been holding them back, you know, that, that weren't just, you know, spiritual issues. So uh, we were doing that. And when we stopped pastoring, we realized, you know what, we should just go ahead and do some coaching. Uh, we were in a really bad car accident that ended us, you know, we're rehabbing for a few months and weren't working anyway. Uh, we just went on ahead and got our certifications from, a, on, from this particular uh, uh, coaching firm online. And from there, it was we already had clients because mm -hmm. we had people that we had been speaking into their lives, and we just kind of took it up, got put a put marketing plan to passion, and came up with the business model of uh, new new direction coaching. So what we do is I, I like to say we specialize in transition. So whether it's mm -hmm. you're transitioning from single to divorce, divorce to single, cubicleville to entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. or you know just a new 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 part of life we that's kind of what we do we work with you to figure out what needs to happen next so that you can make a smooth transition and what i find is that people uh how can i put it? people pretty much mix up change and transition together so mm -hmm. they'll say um they use those words interchangeably but really change is what happens to you transition is how you internally navigate that change like so that. you know a lot of happens to us but uh, how we navigate it is what really determines whether we're successful or whether we whether we fail, and that's where our coaching come in. We works with we work with organizations, individuals, small groups, and everything from culture in the workplace to conflict resolution to vision and, and values to time management. 
we do that kind of coaching. So you're getting a lot of that right now. There's a lot of trend. There's a lot of change in this world. We're reacting to a lot yes. of the change around us, but we're also transitioning and responding to a lot of the, I like that difference between reacting and responding. You react to medication. Yeah. It's probably not going well. You respond to medication. You're getting better. So, exactly. And, and with uh, even with the racial unrest that's in our country, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of organizations are realizing that what they thought was diversity training really, really wasn't as successful or effective as they thought. So being able to plan a Zoom with maybe, you know, if it's a group of 50, breaking it down five a piece and just working with them in small groups on some different projects and awarenesses for diversity has really been impactful for organizations. So we've been doing a ton of that stuff. Well, yeah, I've been, I've said to a lot of people too, that the first three letters in division and diversity are the same three letters. So we have Mm. to be really careful that we, as we become diverse, that we don't become so aware of the differences that we divide. And I think I just heard Obama on 60 Minutes last night talking about, you know, and I've said the same thing. I got a blog entry on this on my LinkedIn that I wrote a while back that, you know, we've become the divided states of America rather than the United States of America. Hmm. And I don't think that's been by design. I think it's been to the credit of Obama and the credit of, of any of our leaders, current or, or past or future leaders. I, I think their intent is to unite us because that is mm-hmm. the United States of America, but, and, and the world. And we want to unite, not just here in America, but um, bringing awareness to something is also going to create some division. You know, if I didn't know, if I wasn't aware something existed, I wouldn't have an opinion about it. Now that I'm more aware of it, I'm making these choices. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it goes back to your whole, you know, change versus transition. You know, I can change my paradigm and my perception or I can transition and transition, I think has more of that moving forward, which I I really like. The analogy came to mind as you were talking about going to church on Sunday and then coaching people during the week. I think about my phone. If I plug it in just on Sunday, but I use it all week, but I don't keep plugging it in. It's going to die. Right. So I, I got to, exactly. I got to, I got to plug in. I got to call that friend of yours. Like you have, I got friends like that too. And I'm down to say, dude, I'm just having a day. They know, like you said, with your buddy, they know right where to go with me. It's way, it's the way I take my phone and I plug it into this wall. It's like, Hey, yep. I need, I need to recharge here a little bit. Cause <laughs> yeah, I could plug this in on Sunday and then not use it all week. And that's one thing, but we're being used every day. We're working, we're thinking, we're processing, we're, paying attention to the, to the stuff, good, bad, and indifferent around us. So, yep. you know, I, I, um, I was on a trip with my wife and trips with us are funny because we're mm. so different. Like I could literally drive and listen to a podcast. I want to sit in the back seat it with you guys on a drive sometime. Oh, <laughs> that would God, be awesome. man, it's, it's funny. It's funny. Um, she's got to have Stevie wonder blasted. Mm-hmm. She's got to have her Michael Jack. She's got to be pumped. And um, mm-hmm. so, but before we leave, I always, I, I literally write a list of things we need to bring. I check her bag. I check my, I'm the real, I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. And she's just, ah, oh, whatever, whatever. And so I would tell her, all right, we're leaving at 5.30. So probably get up, grab a snack because my first stop is going to be around this time. And then if we push it, we, cause I'm always trying to beat the time. You just got time. it all mapped out going through. Exactly. So we're driving one day and uh, we're going from PA to um, Cleveland. And uh, she, she wakes up, not wake up. She kind of zoned out and she comes back and says, I'm starving. And I said, well, we, we're not scheduled to stop right now. And she that, goes, that went okay. Well. She says, okay, let me help you understand something. When I say I'm hungry, I need two things from you. I need empathy and I need urgency. <laughs> and, and I need and, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that means, you know, feel what I'm feeling and stop very quickly. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is that what's, what's going to bring us together is those two things. Empathy for the person that doesn't look like you, doesn't talk like you, doesn't act like you, and urgency to fill that gap of space between you two. I love that. When you when we walk in that, it brings us together. And like I said, it's hard to be mean. And I mean, there are a lot tons of keyboard warriors. I'm sure somebody's listening mm-hmm. and they can find something they don't like, and they'll make a comment about it on this, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to do that face to face with someone who shared their story with you, and they've heard your story. You know, when you start in, when you start intertwining lives, I think that's the, we can celebrate the diversity, but embrace the difference, you know, and that's where we see real change. Yeah. I use sports as the analogy and I've already brought it up a couple of times today, but you know, not everybody's a right fielder. You know, you need a shortstop and a third baseman and a pitcher and a catcher. Mm. You need everybody 
who has different talents and when we pool our talents together, we become this great team of humanity. And um, yeah, that's what I want to see. I mean, I want to see, and I think, you know, someone asked my wife in 2018, so we did our first uh, Black Business Leader Hall of Fame event in 2016. Uh, for a variety of reasons, we skipped a year. Uh, we had a death in the family with my mom and we had a few other personal mm. things. And our sponsor had some reasons not to do it in 2017. After the event in 2018, we were on the campus at USC and a reporter came up and asked her, um, asked Laurieann, why, why you guys? I mean, for those that don't know, I'm, I'm a Caucasian guy who grew up in Orange County, California. My wife's Caucasian, also grew up in Orange <laughs> County. We met in high school, you know. So the, the question was, why you guys? And her response was, because it doesn't make sense. And I thought about that. It's like, there's two reasons to do things in this world, because it does make sense and because it doesn't make sense. Mm. And um, I think, you know, and she expanded on that. And I'm, I would be paraphrasing and even robbing that moment if I even tried to go there. But for me, I internalized her answer because I thought, you know, yeah, this, you know, the first year we did it, 2016, you know, we're calling people, inviting people, selling tickets. We get 350 people in this amazing venue in Pasadena, California. And and a lot Which of people in the audience, yeah, it's massive. We got that many people for a first event. We were just thrilled. Um, I think when I walked up to the podium and welcomed everybody and said, I'm at heart of you know, heart leadership, I got, that's not who I thought it was going to be. You know, it's like, and Wait, again, honey, that's a white guy. Yeah. He's, he's like, <laughs> I'm glad you said it. Yeah. And, and um, after the event, people walking up and, you know, remember that day when we used to be able to hug people? People walking up and mm. hugging, hugging us and thanking us. And, and that's not, wow. why, not why we did it. We did it because it just felt like it was in our heart. And, um, you know, I think that as a society, we, we need to follow our hearts more and get out of our heads. And I think that's where we run into some of these division issues and the, Absolutely. the, the tensions and the anxieties that we're all facing, whether it's personal depression or whether it's, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm vamping here. And this is, this interview is about you, not about me. People are tired of hearing my no. voice. So I'll just, I'll wrap no, up this. And just, you know, the, the whole idea that we, we need to embrace the differences. Here we are, black guy in Virginia, white guy in Southern California. We've, we've known each other through email and phone calls for four years, first face-to-face -face conversation. And like you said at the beginning, I feel like we know each other and you're one of these guys that if I'm having a bad day, I'm going to call and you get it just like you can with me. Absolutely. You know, so we've got to embrace those the differences because that's what I think makes us uh, powerful as human beings. Glancing down at my notes, just because I know we're getting up on an hour here and I got all day, but I just want to be, be cognizant <laughs> of your time. Um, tell me the Egg McMuffin story. I know it's a 13 minute TED talk and we're going to link that on here, but tell me, you didn't tell that story at that TED talk, you know, six years ago just because you like Egg McMuffins. Tell, tell the meaning behind that story, if you don't mind. Not at all. Um, so my mom, like I, saw, I mentioned earlier, she, there was a lot of illness growing up. I never watched her run across a field with me to play ball or anything. You know, uh, she was always sickly, but she could drive. And one of the things that we used to do with, was her time with me because there's such a gap between me and my older siblings uh, was she would drive me to school most mornings. And we'd stop and get an egg McMuffin, or you know, sometimes it was something different, but it was it was usually that egg McMuffin. Um, and we'd sit in the uh, parking lot at that McDonald's, and if I close my eyes, I can see where the trash can was. I can remember what the color houses were off in the distance. You know, she was in a um, I'm gonna take you back a Burgundy Mercury Cougar. Nice. That goes <laughs> that goes back. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm a it's couple a nice... years older than you, but I, I yeah, I, I grew up in the 70s, so I get it. And the lights did the thing where they come up in the front, so it was really cool. But nice. anyway, so we'd sit in the front seat of that um, cougar, and and she just talked, you know. And those were times where she was very vulnerable. She, you know, maybe talk about you know the fear of a new doctor's appointment, or you know she hadn't been feeling well, or her and my dad were going through some things, so she'd voice some of those things right there. And I could tell her, because uh, I was a real anxious kid and uh, you know, really depressed. And I went through some things that, during that period. So going to school for me was always filled with anxiety. But what would quell that was sitting in the parking lot for that 10 minutes while I gobbled down an egg McMuffin. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we just listened to the radio. And then she dropped me off at school. And for some reason, Ed, those little encounters made me feel like I could make it through the day. 
And I never got a chance to ask her why she did it because half the time she'd just have a cup of coffee. She wouldn't even eat anyway. But I think it was more so um, her way of letting me know, okay, you got a tough day ahead of you, but you're going to be okay because I have tough days too. But we got this time together. And, you know, I'd look forward to that all the time. At least three times a week we do that. And it was something that we didn't even talk about in the rest of the day or the house or anything. It was just, you know, okay, let's take, let's get you to school. And, you know, boom, I know we'd stop right there at that McDonald's and we'd have our little meal and it'd be our little time together, you know? And when she was, when she passed when I was 19, it made that memory that much more precious, you know? I bet that when you became a parent, I, I, we're a blended family. I'm a stepdad. I've got four, I got three stepkids, and then my youngest is my niece, who's our daughter. And there's a whole other story for another hour there. But um, I look at the lessons and those, those, uh, you know, my dad took me to golf lessons all through growing up. Number one, because I wanted to learn how to play golf. But more than anything else, I think he would tell you, and he'll listen to this probably soon, that it was about that time that we got together. So as I became a dad, I recognized that a lot of the things that he and my mom did for me, um, I started to recognize why. And I think that mm. you, you see that now. You just you talked about it earlier. Those Sunday morning, you know, conversations with your son. Those, you know, those meals together. Like you said, I, he early shares something in this TED talk I love. We think back about all of our, and I've watched it a few times, and I watched it again today and prep for this conversation, so it's fresh in my mind. That we think back about those great memories with our families, with our kids, with our mom. In your case, <laughs> there's always food. You know, always there's always turkey food. there's ham there's pot roast to you to quote you potato salad or there's something. an egg or there's an egg muffin and a cup of coffee you know it's, exactly. not, it's not about the what <clears throat> but I, I love that so how have you used those experiences with your mom now now that you're a dad well um again being intentional uh realizing that just like in her life uh she she was aware of how sick she was mm -hmm. so she was never um never you know naive about that meaning if she had some people have really nice perfume and they say well i only wear this on a special occasion my mom wore her special perfume every day you know <laughs> and um the, the only thing she wouldn't let us do is the the, the the really nice dishes in the china closet that wasn't every Couldn't day get, yeah no those were once a year twice a year maybe um but the other stuff nice hats nice clothes and and what it taught me was that we really don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Mm -hmm. We really don't know who's going to be affected by COVID. I mean, it would behoove us now more than ever to make every interaction, every I love you, every text message, every FaceTime that much more special because we don't know what, what tomorrow's going to bring. If we knew when our expiration date was, I think we'd live differently. Mm -hmm. But because we don't, I think we have to live intentionally. Yeah, like I said earlier, I, I um, got the news today about my brother. It's not news. I mean, I, I knew he wasn't feeling well and he tested positive. I'm sure he's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And we are really close. He lives in Northern California, 600 miles away. So we don't see each other a lot, but we text and we talk and see him a few times a year. But yeah, it definitely gets you thinking about how much more intentional can I be in every relationship? You know, when right. we click X on this conversation and save it and upload it and you go back to, you know, your life and I go back to mine, you know, the next thing I want to do is go make sure that I have a little bit more intentionality with my wife and my daughter and my grandsons and anybody else that comes into my life today, you know, mm. to have a little bit more quality time. Your job title, Chief Empowerment Officer, last two questions. This one's going to be when you talk about empowerment, why that? Why that title? What does empowerment mean to you? So growing up the way I grew up, you know, just in uh, poverty after my mom and dad split, we had a kind of a rags to riches and reverse situation. So when my dad and my mom were together, he, you know, he had his house built, he owned a construction company. When they left, he kind of went and started a new family. And hmm. we went from a manicure lawn to the projects. And, uh, you know, culture shock for me and my family, but this, that was just our lot in life. And um, for the first time ever, I, I knew what food stamps were. Hmm. And, you know, going to those different departments and my mom would kind of drag me with her and to hear how people talk to you when they knew you needed help impacted me. And the reason why I use the word empower more than I do help is because help implies a deficiency on the person that's receiving it. 
you know, oh, let me help you with your bills because mm -hmm. obviously you don't have enough, you know. But when I say empower, it puts us all on an equal playing field. And it just says, you know what, you're already powerful. I'm just going to show you where the switch is and get out of your way. And I think there's a different mindset when you interact with people from those different, um, from those two different vantage points. If I come at you like I'm going to help you, you'll assume the subservient role and I'll assume that hierarchy. If we come in and I say, let's empower and I explain to you what that is, there's a certain dignity to the exchange. Hmm. I and like I think that, that that's, I think that's why I use empower so much. Um, even when, you know, I'm, I'm interacting, um, my wife keeps dollars in the um, armrest of the car because she has a passion for the homeless. Hmm. And my wife does say, the hey, same thing. <laughs> my wife, we just does. talked about this a couple of days ago. She does the same thing. Yep. And, and I'll use those dollars for coffee sometimes. And she'll <laughs> say, you use my homeless people dollars, you know? Nice. So, um, <laughs> but um, when they say, hey, can you help me? We, we say, we can empower you. Let me show you something. And, and when we give them some money, we try to share something with them um, just to lift them up or something right there. Let them know, hey, you don't have to be subservient. You're in a bad situation now, but we're all just a few, you know, COVID situations and paychecks away from being right where you are. So, you know, lift your head up, have some dignity because you're going to get out of it. So it's give a man a fish or teach a man to fish, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, we, we got to keep talking, brother. This is awesome. This, when we hang up here, we're <laughs> going to get right back on the phone and keep talking. This is uh, this has been such an I, I can't. I, I look over at my clock. I can't believe we've been going for an hour. And so, I um let me get, let me ask you one thing. Look around. Are you sitting in uh, from where you are? It looks like you're on a couch in your family room or living room. Living room. Mm -hmm. Okay. Look at something in your room. Maybe something you can reach and show me. It'll show and tell something around you that's just really important to you. And tell me why. Wow. Give me one second. It's yeah, you here. bet. Okay, cool. I have Let's a method. My headphones on. I have a method for this madness. There's a reason why I'm doing this. I've not done this on a podcast before, but I've seen it done. What do you got? So th this is a picture of my daughter on her 13th birthday. Nice. So um, she's my youngest daughter. She is 24 now. And this is so significant because uh, just two years prior to that, um, we I went through the divorce with my first wife. And it just, it wasn't pretty. Uh, it just, it, it, it was just a rough period. And uh, she turned 13 and I asked her what she wanted to do. And she said, I want to go to a fancy restaurant with cloth napkins. Mm -hmm. So we were set out on the balcony of this uh, restaurant in um, Morristown, New Jersey called Adelphia's. And the people, I called them that day before and told them it was my 13th, my daughter's 13th birthday. And just the little small things they did. They weren't big, they weren't expensive, but she never forgot it. You know, I called her, I said, okay, I'm gonna come pick you up for this date. I want you in your best, your Sunday best. I'm gonna wear my best suit and we're gonna go have dinner together. They, they poured apple juice in a, you know, in a little, uh, you know, champagne flute for yeah. her and we toasted. And, and that is, um, that just represents what I've wanted to do for my kids is, just leave memories so that no matter what's happened, no matter what rough times we've gone through as a family, those are our anchors that we can go back to and remember and keep us focused on what's important. Your whole life's about legacy, brother. You're doing, it, you're doing it with your kids. You're doing it with your clients. You're doing it with your wife. You're doing it with me. You're doing it. Uh, I'm a pretty emotional guy. And this is where, this is the part where Ed gets emotional. The people that are watching and listening today, I hope feel as inspired by this hour with you as I do. Because wow. uh, you're a man who, who's not just talking the talk, but more importantly, you're walking the walk. And so I appreciate you. I appreciate you as a man, as a father, as a friend. Um, there's a lot I can learn from you. And I hope that we can uh, keep the dialogue going. And I, I hope you'll come back and be a guest again, because I got 19 things on my script here that I didn't even get to. And, uh, you know, people <laughs> will probably tune in for another hour, I'm sure, but we'll, we'll do it again soon. What were you going to say? Yeah, whenever you want to, man. And this is where the reciprocity comes in because my wife and I have a podcast and my son and I have a podcast. Awesome. And I think you'd be a guest, a great guest with both of them. So well, you sign me up. Get that in the works. You, you sign <laughs> me up because whether, whether anybody I know listens to it or not, it gives me a chance to talk to you again. So all right. I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. Absolutely. Um, wow, thank you. Well, I always end with the same question. Um, it's a little redundant because we just, and I say this to a lot of my guests, we just spent an hour <clears> and you answered this question already, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask it the way I ask all my guests. 
you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, and I thank you for saying these words that I have the right last name. Um, I have nothing to do with that. I was given the last name Hart. So that's just a name I've got. You can't change Jackson. I can't change Hart. But, um, and I have a dog named Jackson, by the way, just so you know. So All right. I'd, I'd love to say I named him after you, but I knew him before I knew you. But it's just one more reason why I love the name. But uh, I'm a Phil Jackson fan. That's part of it. And Michael Jackson, like your wife. But um, no, with the name from the heart, ultimately the goal of each podcast and each conversation is really to get to the heart of why people do what they do. So the last question I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to just hit end on record on this. Early Jackson, what's in your heart? Wow. Hope. A lot of hope. A lot of hope. And, and it would be strange for that answer would seem strange in this in these times. Um, but I believe that what's happening on the outside is just a manifestation of what what could happen with the right direction. I'm, energy is energy. You know, anger is anger and love. They're energy. They're just it's the motive of the person that's directing it. And I, what's in my heart right now, more than anything else, it's not in a political party being in the office. It's not in, you know, somebody agreeing with my way of doing what I do. It's the hope that we all will tune in and listen to our hearts. Because if we do that, there is something in us that's going to pull out the good and we're going to be okay. Okay.